All right. Well, we're going to jump right into our study in Ephesians, and it has been wonderful to go through the book of Ephesians with you, and in fact, uh, we're going to wrap it up next Sunday. Yes, yeah, so uh, it's kind of exciting, and, and uh, planning uh, later in the summer, early in the fall, we're going to actually uh, be going through the book of Philippians next. So uh, sometimes people are like, have favorite books, so uh, Philippians will be a great one in the fall. And so Ephesians, as we're coming into the home stretch, you know we've been focusing on prayer, right? We went through the armor of God. The last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on prayer, and the passage that we've been launching from is Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. It says this, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's the Apostle Paul letter to the Ephesians, right? So he concludes in in 1920 asking prayers for himself, but in uh, verse 18, we kind of went through last week, right? Praying at all times in the Spirit was last week. This week, we're going to focus on the last phrase of that uh, verse. It says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, okay? So when he says making supplication, that is usually what you and I would consider uh, normal prayers, right? Prayer requests. When you make supplication, when you supplicate, you're making a specific request. There's a need, you're asking God to meet that need. So that's that's basically what, what supplication is. And it says with all perseverance, with all perseverance, right? And perseverance means to continue to do something with intense effort, keeping on task with devotion, constant diligence toward praying. Now, this one, I think, in our culture might be a little more challenging because we live sort of in a microwave instant, instant culture, right? Uh, I was watching something on YouTube. It's kind of a, a comedian. It's kind of funny. You know, I talk about our culture and how we just want everything now, Right? We're a now culture, right? Uh, you think about you know, Amazon and Amazon Prime, then same-day delivery, right? And, and we're just like in this culture that is just, we want it now, 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 now. And he says in this verse, no, we're to keep alert and pray with all perseverance. And you're like, well, how long? I've been praying for, for years. How, how long am I supposed to persevere? And it says, and, and that word is important. It says, with intense effort, keeping on task with devotion, constant diligence. Okay? And, and I got to tell you, I was really blessed. We had a wonderful testimony, Sally, and, and the fruit of her persevering prayer for her kids. And now, you know, they bore testimony yesterday, and now it's it, her, the fruit of her prayers have gone to her grandkids, and, and ultimately, I believe, to her great-grandkids, right? Persevering prayer, the journals, right? Her journal entries yeah, through the tough times, right? Just an incredible, incredible, uh, even for me, encouragement. Encouragement to persevere in prayer. I, I, I really, I really want to encourage you. Maybe somebody here... Somebody online, you've been praying, and you're just about to give up because God hasn't answered that prayer, met that need, maybe in the way that you would want him to, or you know, maybe you're wondering if he's listening. It's been maybe years, and I want to encourage you today, don't quit. 
Don't give up. Because we honestly never know what God's doing behind the scenes. We never know how he's sowing the ground and, and when that prayer will be answered or how it will be we answered. What we do know from this verse is we're to do it with all perseverance. Okay, so we're to do it uh, with all perseverance. And then he says, keep alert. Keep alert, okay? And that, that, that word keep alert means literally without sleep, as if someone is suffering from insomnia, right? It means be alert, be on guard. It's a present tense, which means it's supposed to be our lifestyle. So I want you to think for just a moment, just a moment, if, if our prayers in, in, in the realm of prayer were to, were to be alert, were to have constant vigilance, right? Uh, our spiritual eyes open at all times, Think about that right now, this past week, maybe just your lifestyle in general as a follower of Christ. How alert are you? Really, how alert? We talked about praying in the Spirit, right? And, and what that meant last week, one of the, the meanings of that was as we walk in the Spirit, we're in tune spiritually, we're alert to opportunities that God brings to us to pray for someone. How, one, how many of you in the last week, the Spirit prompted you to pray? Anyone, you are alert, you're attentive, you're right, you, 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 like I shared with you, you heard a siren, and it's like, oh, I got to pray for that EMT, I'm going to pray for that first responder, right? Keep alert. We're to keep alert, spiritual eyes open, right? Because remember back when we talked about the armor of God, we're in a spiritual warfare. So one of the word pictures of being alert is that, you know what? The enemy may attack at any time. Any time. The enemy's not on the clock. So this sense of alertness, this sense of awareness, this sense of, okay, I've got to be on guard. Not fearful, but on guard. How many of us actually carry that into our prayer walk, our prayer life, our daily walk? How many of us are alert versus maybe getting dulled? Maybe um, just over time, life happens, we get comfortable, maybe in a good season, comfortable season, and our alert level just over time, starts to, you know, I think about even the progression of, uh, you know, this, the, the whole pandemic progression. Think about when it all hit early last year, and again, everyone's trying to figure out what's happening. So there's everyone's on high alert. Remember that? Everyone's on high alert, and you're very, you know, diligent and very careful, right? Well, what happened over time? You know, uh, Right? And you're like, oh, I'm tired. And we're, you know, we just kind of in our flesh, we got comfortable, got into routines, and maybe we're not as careful or, or vigilant as we used to be. Well, sometimes that happens in our prayer life. You know, and, and then at the end of Ephesians here, he says, hey, keep alert. Keep alert. And, and I thought of that, and I really want to focus on that this morning and, and really challenge us in this area of being alert watchful, right? You have this Old Testament example. If you remember in the book of Nehemiah, God had put it on Nehemiah's heart, a vision to rebuild the wall, and the enemies surrounding Nehemiah weren't very happy, right? And they threatened him. They were threatening him. And, and what did Nehemiah do? In Nehemiah 4, verses 8, he says, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So what did Nehemiah do? And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So they did two things. They, they were praying, but they were also diligent. 
They set a guard. Two things, okay? We're going to see later how that Jesus says, watch and pray. Very similar. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We talked about spiritual warfare, right? We talked about the devil, you know, he's not necessarily going to come at you in a scary red pitchfork, you know, horned creature. Why? Why won't, why won't he come at you to scare you that way? Because he's going to scare you right to Jesus. In fact, the devil schemes. We talked about the schemes of the devil. It's for each one individually. He'll scheme against you different than he'll scheme against you different than he'll scheme against me, right? And, and in fact, 2 Corinthians 11 says this. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So in this spiritual warfare, the devil is smart enough not to scare you to Jesus. He's going to come according to verse, uh, verse 14 as an angel of light. Disguised as an angel of light. And you're like... What, is it, what does that mean? He's going like, to like be an angel? What, what, how does that work? What that means is that because the devil is shrewd, he's very, 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 very shrewd. He'll come at you, he'll come at me, and he will try to convince us, try to deceive us, right? That darkness, that falsehood, that lies are actually light and truth and the way to go. He will, his, the, when it says that he disguises himself as angel of light, what he's trying to do is disguise darkness as light. He'll get you and I through false teaching, through whatever means to see something, sin, lies, darkness, and somehow it's reasonable, rational, logical, beneficial, good for me. That's what it means when he comes disguised as an angel of light. He's deceiving us that something is actually harmful to our relationship with God, to relationship with others. It's, it's, a, it's a full-on lie, but we get deceived that it's light. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, right? And where, where did we see this? Nothing has changed in his schemes, right? Very first time, nothing has changed. Very first time, Genesis 3. Genesis 3 in the garden, Right? God had given Adam and Eve pretty clear directions, not even required rocket science. <laughs> God, everything, just don't eat of this, right? The serpent did the same thing to them that he does to us. Look in Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So suddenly, rather than seeing eating the fruit as disobedience, right, as direct disobedience, the devil got into her head, flipped it, and now eating the fruit was beneficial. 
Now eating the fruit was something to be desired. Now eating the fruit would make her like God. So no longer was the issue disobedience and what the implications and consequences of disobedience would be. Now she's focused on, I want that. That's good for me. That's going to help me. Right? It's the same trick. Same trick from the garden to 2021. The enemy will come to you and me and present something that's not biblical, that's not truth, and present it in such a way that it entices you. That somehow you look at it long enough and you start kicking it around and suddenly you convince yourself, ah, it's not so bad. In fact, that's kind of good for me. I kind of like that. And suddenly you're dull to the spirit, you're hardened to the spirit, you don't want to hear God's word, you don't want anyone to pray with you, you don't want anyone to give you counsel from God's word, because now you're convinced that the thing you want is beneficial for you. It's the same trick. It's the same trick, right? So we have to be watchful. You're aware of it, but you need to be watchful because it's going to come at you still. 2021, it's the same thing. Trying to disguise darkness as light, trying to get you and I to bite on it because he knows your temptations, he knows your weaknesses, and he's going to fish for all of us differently. And what is he doing? Hey, come get this. Looks good, looks good, looks good, right? It's a disguise, right? If you go fishing, what do you do? You got a nice-looking worm with a hook, hidden, hidden. And it's the same thing. He'll disguise something as really nice, but there's a hook in there. There's a spiritual hook. And you go after it, and you bite on it, and the sudden you're like, row, row. Little help, little help. What happened? You got fooled. You got fooled by the lure. It was disguised as something you thought was good and food. You didn't see the hook. Okay? So you have to be watchful. We have to be watchful. Where else do we see this, this admission to, to keep awake? How about the return of Jesus? Matt, Mark 13. But concerning that day or that hour, speaking of the return of the Son of Man, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Look at this. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Okay? Again, just, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to, just click survey. How many of us live with this sort of like awakeness, readiness for the return of Jesus at any time? <laughs> okay, we got, we got some jazz hands over here. We got two jazz hands over here. Versus how many of us are consumed with the bills and what we're going to eat for lunch and we're upset at someone and we're just trying to get through the week and, you know, and the return of Jesus. When was the last time I thought of the return of Jesus? Honestly, right? And yet in, in Mark 13, says, be on guard. Keep awake. No one knows. Could be like right now. Could be right, like right now. And, and it's kind of interesting because I remember growing up, as I was growing up in the faith, you know, people would say, Jesus can return at any time. And honestly, I didn't know what to make of that. I'm like, but I was going to the beach later. You know what I mean? Like, like weird, like, like in the weird way, like it was going to interrupt my plans. Like, but I, I wanted to go watch that movie. 
You know, Jesus coming back, can he wait till after the movie? You know what I mean? It's like weird because we get consumed with the worldly mindset still and our heart isn't set above where if he came back, we would be with Sally and Marvin. Amen? Right? Like we, we get that and memorials remind us where she, where she is and we're celebrating no more health issues and everything like that. And we're like, yes. And then over time we're like, but I really want to take that trip. Isn't it? Isn't it? How many of you, how many of you honestly will, will kind of, that, you know, you're like, yeah, you know, and then you read this and we're supposed to be on guard and keep awake for his return at any moment. No one knows, right? How awake are we spiritually? How in tune? How, where, where's our priorities? Where's our focus? Okay. And then, and then finally, I, I, I come across this idea of watching and praying when it comes to temptation. And, and the, the context is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, it's a fairly long passage, but I think it's important. So Mark 14, starting in verse 32, says this. This is Jesus and his disciples. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's a pretty powerful scene. Jesus takes three of his closest boys. He says, hey, come with me to the garden. Jesus understands the weightiness of this moment, what he's about to endure, right? He had told them before, hey, you know, I got to be betrayed. I'm going to be, you know crucified, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again. He had told them all this. He said, hey, come. Come with me, you three. Come with me. And, then, and he says, hey, just stay here and watch. Be alert. Be awake. Right? Be on guard. He goes away. And what do they do? Fall asleep. They fall asleep. Now, now maybe it had been a long day. Maybe, you know, there was a lot of things happening, and they were just physically tired. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw them under the bus too much. But it's really interesting that Jesus comes back and he kind of calls him out. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? I mean, Jesus is kind of calling him out. He, I, you know, I get kind of, he's kind of like bombed. He's like, really? This is like almost the culmination. I'm about to, the, the climax of my ministry is about to happen. I'm about to go through it. And I come back and you guys are sleeping? Couldn't even hang one hour. And it's just, I, I, was, I was like, 
Lord, what are you saying to your church? Especially in these times that we're living in. Is the church asleep? Are we in tune with, with what's happening? Do we really understand where our culture and our society is heading? Do we really, do we really grasp the gravity of it? Or are we asleep? Are we just asleep? And the Lord has to come and say, what are you doing? What are you doing, church? Wake up. Wake up. This is it. This is it. What are you doing? Why are you asleep? Right? And, and I just, I was just, you know, over and over this week, I was like, watch and pray. Watch and pray. That when he says watch and pray, it's like a sentry at night. It's a guard being aware of the snares of the world. It, it, it's, a, it's a very profound picture. Keep on watching. Keep on praying. Here's a, when, when people in, in, use this word in non-church terms, it's the Greek word, what it was, it was a word picture of somebody crossing a stream or a river, and you have to step on slippery stones. How many have ever gone to the river bottom, or how many have ever had to cross water and you stepped on stones, right? How many of you were very awake and alert? Anyone? You, you were awake and alert. Like, all you could do was focus on the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until you got to the other side. That is the word he's using for us, the church, to be watchful in these days, to be in tune spiritually, to be in the spirit, to be attentive, to be very detailed, to just be aware, be awake, like you're crossing a river on stones. Think about that. Think about this past week. Just, just again, personal reflection. How attentive, how, does, does that word picture resonate where you, where, where you are spiritually? Or are we just kind of cruising through life, right? Are we just kind of cruising? It, it, it's really interesting because in this passage, it says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So what he's saying is, hey, guys, the reason you watch and pray is that it prepares you to see temptation before it comes or when it's coming, not when you're in the middle of it. How many of us tend to uh, have a more robust prayer life in the middle of a crisis? Right? But what he's saying here is, don't wait for the crisis. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This watchfulness and prayerfulness is designed to protect us, to see it coming. But again, the enemy lulls us to sleep lulls us to comfort, and suddenly we get hooked, and now we got to pray. Now we got to get to church. Now we got to get to the Zoom group, because we're already hooked and flailing around, and Jesus says, watch and pray on the front end, so that you see it coming. And if you see it coming, you can ask for prayer and help from brothers and sisters in Christ before you get into it. Amen? It's the before. That's why we got to be watchful and prayerful, Jesus says, on the front end. But a lot of us, we're not, and our Christian life is very reactive. We react to circumstances. We react to crisis. We react to, we react to, we react to. And nothing wrong with praying in response to something, but what would happen in your prayer life 
if you purposed to pray ahead of things that you were praying that God would show you schemes of the enemy, that God would reveal things as necessary on the front end before you got reeled in, right? That God would show you the lure, right? That's what he said, be watchful, be prayerful on the front end. That's what he's saying here, okay? It's a proactive choice. I love this quote by David Guzik. It says, Jesus found victory at the cross by succeeding in the struggle in Gethsemane. Peter, just like us, failed in later temptation because he failed to watch and pray. The spiritual battle is often won or lost before the crisis comes. It's a before issue. Now, what is, what, in the context, what is he talking about Peter's failure? Well, in Mark 14, 27, Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm going to be betrayed. Y'all are going to bail on me. And this is what This is what Peter and the other guys said. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. What happened to Peter later? Right? So this is when, when he, this is the context, and then Jesus says, hey, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What he, said, what he was saying is, hey, Pete, I know you have good intentions. I know what you said earlier about denying me. I know you really believe that. I know that's your desire. I know, I know that that's really what you want to do, not deny me. But Pete, if you're not prepared, you're going to fail. And we all know what happened, right? The crisis came, the storm came, and Peter freaked out, became scared, and he denied him three times, right? And so what, what do we learn from that? It's like, okay, what we really need to learn from this is that it's not necessarily wrong to have good intentions, and good desires in your walk with Jesus. The question is, do you really accept the fact that you might have these good intentions and desires, but you, me, in our flesh, we're weak. We're weak. I, I, I've been in ministry 30 years. I know countless Christians who have had good intentions. Good intentions to read their Bible, good intentions to go to church, good intentions to serve, good intentions, good intentions, good intentions. But when it came down to it, and it came down to following through, they didn't. Oh, I really meant to. Oh, I've been really wanting to. I've been really intending to, right? Well, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, is weak, right? And... and Jesus kind of helps us answer, well, what do I do then? Well, he said on the front end, watch and pray. You need to be spiritually in tune, right? It's, not, it's really kind of not enough to just have good intentions, right? So, so why? I was thinking, well, okay, why don't we follow through on good intentions as believers? Again, not doubting your sincerity, but just really asking the real question, why the lack of follow through? Why the lack of follow through? Well, 
I thought a couple things. One goes back to 1 Peter 5.8. Maybe, honestly, we don't believe we're in a spiritual warfare. And there's really no pressing need to follow through because things are kind of good and you're kind of comfortable. Right? But again, that's just the scheme of the enemy. I believe one of the schemes of the devil is to get you to believe he doesn't exist. If the enemy can get you to believe that the enemy doesn't exist, then the enemy got you. Right? So maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's just, you know, they're not going to rock your world too much because if they rock your world too much, what are you going to do? Uh, I guess we've got to go to church and I've got to pray and I've got to find my Bible again. Well, no. I think one of the schemes of the enemy is just to kind of lay off and let you be because you're good and comfortable, especially in the good old USA, in Ojai. We're kind of just materially comfortable and why would the enemy want to rock that boat if it keeps you away from Jesus and the church? They wouldn't, right? So maybe one of the reasons we don't follow through with good intentions is we just honestly see no real need. We're good to go. We're just good to go, right? Second reason, maybe just kind of pride. Pride, and it comes through in Peter's words, right? Even if all deny you, I never will. Well, there's good intentions, but there's a heck of a lot of self-confidence in that. There's a lot of self-sufficiency. There's a lot of independence. There's a lot of Peter behind that. And I think sometimes, you know, even with the best of intentions, our pride gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way because we don't want to acknowledge our need and dependence on even God. And so when the rubber meets the road and it's time to follow through on that intention or desire, we don't. We're just prideful. The statement, the intention was made out of pride, right? Some of these verses on pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs eleven two. Pride leads to disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Right? So I wonder if one of the reasons, you know, we don't watch, we don't pray, we don't follow through with good intentions, we're just kind of prideful. We're taking care of business on our own. We got our life together. You know, I'll, get, I'll, I'll come back to God when I really need him. It's kind of pride and self-sufficiency. What I really love is the Apostle Paul's authenticity in Romans 7. Romans 7, right? See if you resonate with the Apostle Paul. He says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anyone? Amen? Right? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Right? Here's a guy with some good intentions. I got these really good intentions, and I just don't follow through. And then the stuff that I really don't want to do, for I just keep doing it. Anyone ever been in that cycle? You're like, why can't I get my act together? Lord, why do I just keep taking these laps? I want to do this. I want to honor you. I want to follow. I have all these good intentions, and I just don't do it. Then, Lord, all this stuff I know that's not glorifying to you, why do I keep doing this? And what I love about the Apostle Paul here is his humility. He's like, I'm still dealing with the old man. 
I'm still dealing in this sanctification process. Now remember, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're born again, you're given a new nature, right? You're adopted in the family of God, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're now empowered to obey God, you want to obey God, but how many of you, despite all of those wonderful truths, how many of you still have the old person coming up and ruining your plans, right? That's called sanctification. That's called sanctification. And the way that we approach it is the same way with humility. You come before God. You say, God, I recognize my good intentions are not enough. Even my flesh is not enough. I need you. I'm in a battle, and I need you to sanctify me. I need you to transform me in this area. It's humility. It's humility. And this is where, you know, I wonder, again, why it is that if we're in a small group or we're meeting with someone and and we genuinely love each other as brothers or sisters in Christ, why is it that we're still so scared to share what's going on in our life at the real level? At this level. The things I want to do, I don't. And the things I I don't want to do, I keep doing. Why can't we just be honest with even one brother or sister and say, dude, I'm struggling here. Why? We're honest. Pride in the sense of we're scared of what they're going to think about us. We're just terrified of what a brother or sister in Christ who is actually dealing with the same struggle because they're in sanctification I don't really want to share what I'm struggling with with you because I'm just scared to death of what you're going to think about me. And that's the prison. And I wonder if that's a scheme of the enemy too. Keeps us all bound up in our own struggles, even though we all would acknowledge, okay, let's just, let's just, we'll just try to answer this. How many of you here recognize in your own walk. Now, don't shout out anything specific. How many of you in your own walk recognize, resonate with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 that you don't do what you want to do and what you don't want to do, you do? Anyone? Okay, now, keep your hands up. Now, the reason we're doing this, look around. Thank you very much. Welcome to the church. It's the church. Cindy, you can put your hand down there, you know. But, but if you want to keep it up there for the rest of the service, you can. This is the church. And the way that we defeat these areas, the way we grow in these areas, is by coming to the place where we share our lives with somebody. Now, you have to be, I'm, I'm saying, you know, find some appropriate setting, find that relationship where you trust and confidence and all that. But a lot of times, we're more concerned with what people think about us than dealing with this issue. We will continue to struggle through this issue, even if it means disobedience, sort of disobeying God, sort of not honoring God, and we will, we will choose that path because to share this struggle with someone scares us more. I'm more concerned about what Robert thinks about me than what God thinks about me at that moment. That's a powerful That's a powerful place to kind of work through. And I want to encourage you. I mean, at what level are you more scared 
of what man thinks about you than what God thinks about you. Just think about that for a moment. Because for some, that fear of man is what has kept you in bondage for years. And in the right situation, God leads you to the right person. And I say, hey, Randy, can I talk to you? And, and, I, and I open my heart to Randy. And Randy goes, brother, I dealt with that too. And I'm dealing with that too. And I'm like, Elder Randy is dealing with that too? And you're an elder at the church? Right? We, we have all these weird things that we lay on each other. And I get that, you know, I'm not talking like we just dump all our stuff inappropriately, you know, out. And, but the flip side to that is that we come to church on Sunday and we look very good. And everything is fine. And God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. How was your week? Good. How's work? Fine. How's your kids? Angels, right? And we're like, <laughs> how's your honesty? Uh, right? And somehow or another, because we developed this habit in church that everything's good and fine, God bless you, now there's this built-in hesitancy to be the black sheep of the well. And it's peer pressure. There's a lot of unspoken pressure. And where is it coming from? Fear of man. And ultimately, our, our pride and our ego. What is, what, are you, what is someone going to think about me if I ask them for genuine prayer about this? Right? And it keeps us in bondage. It keeps us in bondage. Look what James 4, 6 says. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? You will humble yourself. That word grace there is God's supernatural enabling. He gives grace to the humble. Now, the word humility in the Bible doesn't mean you beat yourself up and you say, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. When it says you're humble in the Bible, what it means is you have an honest assessment of yourself. He's God, I am not is the basis of biblical humility. It's not beating yourself up. That is not humility. It's having an accurate assessment of yourself. So if I come before God and say, Father, I'm weak in this area. Father, I need you. I admit, I confess my repeated failures. Father, I humble myself. I just, it's, I'm just coming clean. You know in that, according to James 4, 6, he will give you grace. Supernatural enabling. That's what he's talking about. It's just living in truth. Just living in truth. And then the victory over the flesh, if you're like, can we really do this? Look at Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen? There is victory. The victory is walking in the Spirit. If you and I will walk in the Spirit, we talked about it last Sunday, and pray in the Spirit, and we're supernaturally enabled and empowered by the Spirit, you know what? We can literally say no to the flesh. We can literally say no to the flesh. And regarding temptation, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So think about this. Jesus says, hey, watch and pray, right, so that you don't fall into temptation. So you and I, we're watching and praying, 
We're spiritually in tune. We see some sort of temptation coming at us. It's coming. You know it. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God's going to provide a way out. I don't have to give into it. But you know what might be included in God's way out? Asking a brother to pray for me in that situation. Coming clean. Being willing to make a hard choice not to go there again, even with the peer pressure that they may involve. Or people like, what are you doing, man? Why? Come on, everyone's doing it. It's fine. You know, it's okay. And you're like, no, I can't. I see the temptation coming. God has provided a way out, and I'm going to take that way out. Power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. I will take that way out. And for some, it will require supernatural empowering just because you're so scared of what others will think about you, even if you stand up for God. It's kind of interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know where it's come from. And I remember this uh, even as a youth pastor. I worked with kids for years and years. And it was so interesting to me that we're a youth group and we would worship and open God's word. And when kids fell in love with Jesus and wanted to read their Bible and wanted to lift their hands in worship, there was this weird peer pressure not to love Jesus and be open about it. It was like suddenly you're odd man or odd girl out in the youth group. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where that comes from. And, and then you get to adult, and I'm like, I'm wondering if even at the adult level of church, if some of us are a little bit scared about what the people around us will think if we actually fall in love with Jesus and freely worship and, and get involved and want to read. And suddenly, you know, Cindy goes, ooh, what got into Cindy? Cindy's just raising her hands all the time, and Cindy's reading her Bible. Oh, Cindy thinks she's better than us now. She got Jesus, right? It's, it's this weird thing that I think sometimes some of you really want to cut loose with Jesus. I think some of you get to the fence, and you're like, really? Can I do that? Can I do that? And, and like, you want to just be all in. You want to be all in, right? You just want to. And then you get to the edge, and, and, and you maybe put, oh, you do this with Jesus, and you're, you know, you know, and, and maybe, you know, Robert, I'm, uh, I love you, Robert, and Robert is just like a guy who's all in for Jesus, like anywhere. Robert will talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus to anyone, anywhere that God puts on it, right, Robert? You just love Jesus, right? And sometimes we're like, I can't be like Robert. But I want to be, you know, not like Robert, but I want to be that free. I want to be free. I want to be free. And I think sometimes in the church, we get to this line and we're hearing it and, and the word's being spoken and maybe Randy comes up and, want, you know, closes and you're like, I want that. I want that. I want that. And you know what the pressure is? The church itself. We're afraid to like step out and just like be free because we've been coming to the well for 10 years. And what are people going to think about me at the well if I sit in a different seat and I'm standing up freely worshiping and I'm just like all in for Jesus suddenly? They're like, what got into you, Melanie? Sally dancing. That's what I loved about Sally. Right? I shared the story with the family at the graveside. You know, she would come... The first time I think it was at the Wesleyan Church, and I was leading worship. And they came and they visited, or she would come in, and I'm playing worship. Sally got up and started dancing up and down the aisles. And I'll be honest with you, I'm playing worship, I'm like, is that allowed? 
I am seriously like, Tyler, security, security, we have a dancer, we have a dancer, this is getting crazy, we're going charismatic on us here, you know? I'm like, and then afterwards I'm like, is she going to do that every week? What are, like literally, pastoral, like, what are people going to think about us? Word gets out in Ojai that, that we allow dancing in the aisles. I'm telling you, it is like this strange reverse peer pressure thing. Like Sally gets up, joy of the Lord. And I'm not saying there's not order in the church, you know. I'm not, I'm not saying we, we have order. But Sally gets up, and it was so funny. Everyone went. Can, can she do that? Is, that? is that okay? Is that okay? I don't know. They're still playing. I guess it's okay. I mean, it was just so strange. Like, you know, Ty, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Tyler, we laugh about this because we, like, we did not know what to do. Because it was impromptu of the Spirit. She was joy of the Lord. And then, the thing is, she would go up and down and shake people's hands. Remember that? And so, and then people, like, didn't, they, she didn't even know them. She just had this smile, and, she, and she'd dance over here. And all the while, I'm like, oh, we're going cray-cray. This is not good, you know. Where does that come from? Why, why in 2021 can't we just be free in Jesus? Just have freedom. And I wonder if it goes all the way back to watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know, because honestly, it is easy to fall asleep spiritually. It is easy to check out to not be in tune and to kind of go through our routine, you know. How many of you drive to church the same way every Sunday? Okay, thank you. You get here, you don't even remember how you got here because you were on autopilot, right? And you're going to leave here and you're going to turn left because you always turn left. It's easy. It's so easy. And then you put down your spiritual life and we kind of just go through the motions a little bit. And I just would hope that that as the Apostle Paul says, right, in Ephesians 6, 18, right at the beginning of this, he said this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I just felt like today is a wake up. Let's just wake up, amen? Maybe you've been in a slumber. Maybe you kind of like dozed off. Maybe you're like in you know, just total sleep land. I don't know. But my encouragement to you is wake up. Wake up. Wake up because there's an enemy. Wake up because Jesus might come back. Right? But let's just as a church wake up. And then here's the thing. Let's as a church purpose, if God touches someone's heart here and they just get lit for Jesus, can we just celebrate that with them? Can, can, we, can, we, can we just celebrate that? Okay, let's just celebrate that. Let's encourage that. Let's affirm that. And you know what I'm saying. Because I want you, I love you guys, and I want you to have the freedom here to respond to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit moves in your life. And not, not even within the church to have the fear of the church and what the church will think about you when the Holy Spirit has got a hold of you. And the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit speaks... The Holy Spirit moves in you. Obey the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. Be free. Be free.
That, that's my heart, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time. The last few Sundays we've had a time of prayer, and we're going to have a time of prayer again. What is prayer? Consciously coming into the presence of God, Abba, Father, right? And this morning, as you come into the presence of Father, ask him if you've been asleep spiritually. Ask him if, how alert you've been. Ask him if you've been watching and praying. Maybe ask him if you got hooked and you're hooked and you don't even know it into a temptation, into a different a worldly perspective, into the things of the world have consumed you. I don't know. All I'm asking you to do is all I'm going to give you an opportunity to do is come into the presence of Father and ask him through the power of the Holy Spirit to show you where you're at in this area of being alert, persevering in prayer. Amen? Let's go to Father. Well, Father, once again, we're reminded that prayer is consciously coming into your presence. And we're aware, once again, that the Bible says we can only do this because of our faith in Jesus, which gives us access to your throne. Father, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians says, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, Father, I ask you in my own life, we ask you, have we been asleep? Have we been alert? Have we let down our guard? Are we comfortable? Are we fearful of man? Whatever it is, we just want to pause now and ask the spirit of truth, the counselor who knows each one of us, to speak to our hearts who are listening. Father, I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you for the times when we laugh, the times when we cry. I thank you that we share this journey together. And my prayer for this church family is that we would be free in Christ, to be transformed, to continue to be sanctified, to respond to the Holy Spirit, and not be scared even of what the church will think about us because we've fallen more in love with Jesus and we're more free in Jesus and we love Jesus in new ways and in and, and ways that we never even knew were possible, even if we've been coming to church for decades. Father, I pray that the well would be a place of freedom in Christ, where the Holy Spirit can move freely and powerfully in such a way that would honor and glorify you through your church family and in such a way that souls would continue to be saved. Father, may the well be a place where people continue to meet you, Jesus. And after meeting you, 
continue to grow and be transformed in a relationship with you and other believers who love them dearly. And Father, now as we prepare for communion, Father, we remember Jesus. We remember him in in the garden, in his own moment of need. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And that's our prayer in this time of communion. Father, not what we will, but what you will. Not our will be done, but your will be done. We follow the example of Jesus in that moment of of turmoil. He went to you and he surrendered his will to your will. That's what we choose to do today. And if you're listening and you've not put your faith in Jesus, this is a great opportunity to do so. Believe on Jesus. He was crucified, died, was buried, rose from the dead, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. Believe on Jesus. The best way you know how, put your faith in Jesus. Tell him you, you trust him. You, you're putting your faith in him as your Savior and Lord. We'll sing a song. There's communion cups in the rows in front of you. And in this time of communion, it's, it's personal time. You can reflect, you can pray, you can sing. Take communion at your own pace. And then uh, Randy will come up and close us.